Hello and welcome to another episode of Wrestling With Memories. You're joined by me, Wax the Brain Hussein, and my co-host, Fash the Million Dollar Fan. Fash, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I mean, I've uh, I've been hearing some promos that have been coming in my direction, but, you know, I'm not going to waste the time of the, the viewers and the listeners. I have, and the Fash World Order has bought some TV time, um, bought some advertisement time, and we're going to basically respond at the end of the show because that's the way the FWO does it. Before we move to the main topic, I was keen to chat to you about a couple of things. We don't talk about the wrestling of today, but... This past week's been pretty big. I mean, even the last few weeks have been pretty big. I mean, Bobby Lashley becoming the WWF champion. Um, Paul White signing with AEW. And then his big surprise being revealed at Revolution as Christian. But also the main event, I guess, of Revolution in the final segment. So um, for a one-off, I'm keen to get your views on these um, different things that have been happening over the past few weeks. Yeah, well, AEW are certainly going all out to challenge the WWE uh, in every possible way that they can, even with uh, Shaquille O'Neal having a match on AEW prior to to Revolutions. It was uh, certainly an interesting time for the business. Tony Khan, um, deep pockets that his father has. He's uh, he's certainly spending his money. Um, I was a bit um, underwhelmed by Christian being the new All Elite member, uh, but that's really their own fault for building it up so much. Um, And the end of the... The, the match that you're referring to, Fash, between John Moxley and Kenny Omega. Well, that's got to go down as one of the biggest fails <laughs> in wrestling history, along with some of the things we were talking about earlier, uh, being like Kane revealing his mask. Um, yeah, I mean, that was right up there, wasn't it? With the Shockmaster, as you said, Kane revealing his face for the first time and just being covered in mascara yeah. and everyone acting as if, it, you know, he's destroyed. And and this as well, I mean, yeah, they could have paid for some more fireworks. It was uh, not so much an exclusion, uh, explosion, but a whimper. Um, yeah. And it's been the talk of the town, obviously, on Twitter and social media in general. But um, yeah, they've tried to kind of cover it up a little bit, but the, the explanation doesn't work with the reaction of Mr. Eddie Kingston and the commentators. So no, certainly not. a big wrestle botch moment. Um, but certainly the event we're going to talk about today, um, there was a lot of interesting stuff happening in it and not so much wrestle botch, but I think some, some good wrestling related, um, developments too. Yep. So we're going all the way back to 1991 over the next couple of episodes, we're going to cover SummerSlam 91. We're going to see what the build up to Survivor Series was, uh, Survivor Series itself. And then Tuesday in Texas, and that will round out our 1991, um, review of the WWF. So, Let's get going. Okay, Fash, we're well underway in our look back at 1991. We're through the summer and we have now reached SummerSlam 1991. I'm going to hand over to you um, to talk through what's been happening at SummerSlam 91. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So our previous episodes for people that have not had a chance to watch it we've talked about all the major developments over the summer so you know um leading into this event said justice coming in he's going to be the guest referee in the main event rick flair um joining soon so he's going to come through the doors in september but he's very much mentioned in the show and then also in terms of other developments leading into this there was a big angle between the ultimate warrior jake roberts and the undertaker and there's going to be a major 
kind of about face when it comes to that because of external factors. But yeah, this event was in August of 1991. So we're getting near the end of the year in Madison Square Garden, um, one of the greatest wrestling arenas. Um, and yes, that's quite a loaded card with lots of, um, you know, varying characters. But I guess just Madison Square Garden, what's your views on this as a wrestling arena? Well, this is the, the WWF, WWE sort of headquarters, isn't it, in the north? It's the most uh, prestigious arena in the world, some would say. Um, and certainly from a wrestling point of view and from WWF history, this is the arena that if you want something big happen, you want to do it here. Um, and the fans will certainly let you know if they uh, approve or not. Um, it's always a rowdy New York crowd. Well, that's the thing, and we don't really see much in Madison Square Garden. I don't know the current status of it, but you know, my understanding was WWE stopped doing shows here just because the one limit behind Madison Square Garden was how much capacity you could get in there. And we've not seen any events here in recent years. But yeah, you talk about what makes an event. I think the crowd is so important. I think most of us agree. And for me, you know, New York, Madison Square Garden the Canadian crowds, the British crowds, a Philadelphia, these are the ones that, you know, they can really elevate um, an event. And this was no different here. I mean, I thought the crowd here was outstanding throughout the night, really hot for everything and gave it that real sizzle. But I, I guess starting off here, what I remember the most is the visuals for the, the opening. Vince McMahon growling about a match made in heaven and a match made in hell. But the actual stuff they used, the graphics were very cheesy. I expected better production. It was kind of Warrior and Hogan posing, the heels posing, and then they're showing um, Randy and Elizabeth. So I didn't think it was the best opening production. But but the event starts with um, three legends in Gorilla Monsoon, Roddy Piper, and Bobby Heenan. And a part of me wishes it was just Gorilla and Bobby because I can't imagine how hard it was to produce Rarity on commentary, but he was just all over the place. Um, but, but the event started off with... Um, a six-man tag, Wax, it was um, the Texas Tornado, the British Bulldog, and Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat, but only referred to as the Dragon, taking on the team of Hercules, Paul Roma, um, and the Warlord, so Power and Glory and the Warlord. And I guess one thing that I'm thinking about when I watched this event was, it is a kind of the beginning of the transition, because five of these guys are not going to be at SummerSlam 1992. And essentially, they're coming to the end of things. And I guess, you know, we mentioned the British Bulldog coming in 1990. Uh, Texas Tornado also came in 1990. Kerry Von Eric from the legendary Von Eric family. He had a good start winning the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam 1980. But after that, he tails off. Uh, people know he had his personal issues and, you know, things didn't really work out for him here. And then sadly, he's going to pass away in 1993. And the Dragon is the one I want to kind of focus on in terms of he made his return post-WrestleMania 7. And that's why we've not really mentioned him. And this is his first pay-per-view back, but it's going to end up being his last pay-per-view back as well. Now, Vince decided to, for some reason, just refer to him as the Dragon, give him a very elaborate um, look. He's breathing fire, literally. Um, but they're not really mentioning the fact that he's been here before. Um, and it was really weird that he's just referred to as a Dragon as if he's a rookie. And then they'd confuse it at times because... Um, on superstars, a Randy Savage might mention his match with him at WrestleMania 3, so it was all over the place. Um, but this match was really a bit of showcase for the baby faces, and I think it was a pretty decent opener for that. The crowd was into it. Um, in terms of how it worked, I mean, Ricky Steamboat played the, the face in peril, which he does really well. Um, Texas Tornado and Davy Boy 
kind of had inputs within it. You know, they did what they do. And the match, you know, ended with um, the Warlord being hit with the discus punch. I think he tags in Paul Roma then. Um, the Bulldog power slams him, gets a two count. And I think this was, I don't know if you watched this, but there's a bit of a confusion here. I think Bulldog thought that was supposed to be the, the end. And he kind of looks around a bit confused. And then I think he tags they didn't in. realize who was the legal man at that point, and uh, I think there was some confusion. Yeah, so it's a bit of audible, and then he tags in the dragon, and the dragon, I think, you know, goes and hits a flying body press and gets the pin. So the heels didn't really have much to do in here. Um, I wasn't really a fan of the warlord, and he and Davy Boy seem to be feuding forever. Yeah, this summer, especially this from this sort of period onwards through the rest of the year, it was pretty much the warlord against British Bulldog. Uh, it had a lot to do, I think, with the their body types and just being two muscly freaks that, you know, yeah. they were trying to, to, to put them up against each other. But yeah, you're right. They were fighting each other pretty much all the way through the second half. Of yeah, just, but then we move on to the, the match that steals the show. And I know you're keen to talk about this one. Yeah. So a, a four star match, according to Dave Meltzer, I would have gone even higher. Uh, I'd go tremendous higher. effort by Brett, the Hitman Hart and Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental Championship. Mr. Perfect, obviously the, the champion at this point. Uh, but it's important to sort of note he was actually carrying a, a quite a serious injury, uh, which meant that they had to get the title off him, um, and he had to go then away uh, on a three-month break before he was back on TV. But he was an even longer break in terms of wrestling. I don't think he wrestled for another year after this. It was a serious back injury, um, uh, and it certainly put uh, paid to his sort of push at that point. Um, the match itself is tremendous. I mean, this two mid-carders that you know could have went on to have or probably did go on to have great careers. Um, Mr. Perfect, I was going to ask you, Fash, if Mr. Perfect hadn't got injured at this moment in time uh, and he was still wrestling, do you think his career could have taken off in the same way that Brett's did, Sean, Sean Michaels did? Because he was a similar sort of stature and size to those guys. Absolutely. I think it's such a shame because, yeah, he does come back, as you say, tail end of 1992 at the Survivor Series and into 93, where they are in the kind of, you know, the focus is on the smaller competitors and Brett Hart's the champion. Absolutely agree with you. I think if he hadn't had this injury and, you know, you were going into 1992 and when Brett wins the title, I think Mr. Perfect would have been in the mix, especially if he would have been, you know, with Ric Flair for a bit, turned babyface yeah. and taking it. So I think it's a shame. And as you say, this injury is going to kind of make his career a bit stop-start. Um, and, you know, he's not really going to go full-time until he goes to WCW in 97. But I see a tremendous match. Back and forth. Yeah, and I mean, find out that he was so badly injured. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah, the fact that you could put on a, a clinic with Brett, and I suppose you've got two guys in there that are you know renowned for being just the best workers of of that sort of era. Uh, I mean, the match itself is a, is a great story. <clears throat> Mister Perfect constantly pulling at Brett's hair um, at all chances to get, and then suddenly Brett decides that's enough. Does the same to Mister Perfect and uh, has his revenge. He then just tears his um, his one C apart, uh, which I thought was hilarious. I don't know if that was intentional or not, uh, but it seemed to come apart at the seams quite quickly. Um, and you know, the great towards the end had a great finish, uh, Brett winning, uh, and then again for some reason he's trying to strip Mister Perfect of his uh, of his outfit, and uh, it's just a bit hilarious the way, the way it ends. But uh, an absolute clinic from a wrestling point of view that both guys put on. Yeah, from my perspective, I mean, Mr. Perfect gave an example how you put someone over because this was Brett's coming out party, really. And, and within the match, um, you know, he kicks out of the Perfect Plex 
which yeah, the I first time I think is the one. Well, the commentary that... they say that, but really, mm. I think Hogan and Warrior both yeah. kicked out of it before. But I mean, just to kind of highlight the point, you let him do that, and then you know, it's the first time we see Brett use a kind of reversal for the sharpshooter. You know, as as you say, you know, Mr. Perfect's kind of um, kicking his abdomen and then he kind of turns it around with the sharpshooter, yep. taps it straight away. And then, yeah, as you see, tears his clothes apart. So, you know, I think Mr. Perfect um, really went out for Brett there and Brett showed that, you know, he was something special. And I, I think in Brett's book, he alludes to the fact that there was such a level of respect there yeah. that, that Kurt Henning really wanted to go out and, and you know, put on a show. Um, and, and afterwards, it's quite funny. I don't know if you remember, you know, Lord Arthur Hayes goes and speaks to Stu and Helen Hart, who are also showcased here. Um, and as he's about to speak to them, Brett goes and kind of hugs them. And then <laughs> Lord Arthur is ready to speak to Stu. And Stu is about to talk. And then he just pulls up microwave and says, oh, he's too emotional to talk. So it's a bit of a mess <laughs> of a segment. Uh, but yeah, I think this was classic. And certainly for this event, if there's one match that you need to see, um, and certainly just a match that you need to see. Um, it was this one. It was certainly Bret Hart's coming out party and the first title that he wins. And this would be the beginning of lots of success for the Hitman. The next match we've got is the Natural Disasters versus the Bushwhackers. Two iconic tag teams, regardless of what their in-ring ability was. Um, very memorable, I would say, Fash, in terms of characters, if not uh, ability in the ring. Uh, and the natural disaster, you've got these two absolute giants um, that, you know, obese to the max, but they were still able to uh, do a little bit of work in the ring um, uh, uh, and proved to be quite effective. And then the Bushwhackers, the ultimate comedy tag team. Uh, and I've got to pay respect to the Bushwhackers for playing their characters superbly well. Uh, there wasn't a moment where you saw that mask uh, on, on the faces uh, slip. Uh, one bit um, they were always fun to watch I think from kids point of view they were certainly up there as one of the, the more popular tag teams well certainly smart fans will know and and you know we learned later on that these guys were fearsome in the NWA as the the sheep herders yep. but here we just saw them as this I mean to be honest with the bushwhackers what they got away with in 1991 they couldn't do in 2021 licking people's faces and touching them <laughs> inappropriately so um it's another one of those things which you look back and think that's not aged well at all but yeah I mean to be honest they were just jobbers in the WWF and yeah memorable but did they actually ever win anything that was was important? Um, and somebody say natural disasters we covered in a previous show when we were covering, you know, the summer of '91 and Jake Roberts in particular. How you know, tugboat had turned on bushwhackers and you know joined Earthquake as the natural disasters. Now I think Earthquake was extremely talented. You know, the man had agility and what have you. Um, Typhoon not so much, but as a team, yeah, they looked great. And it's a shame actually the run wasn't longer than it ends up being. But I don't know, it was, a, it was a squash match, basically, wasn't it? Just to establish the natural disasters. It probably, I think it's only about six six minutes or so, but probably should have even been shorter. But it's more about the aftermatch angle, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, they're, they're, they're about threatening um, Andre the Giant at the end of the match. Um, and in walk Legion of Doom. And unfortunately, their music doesn't play right, which really annoyed me because they are such an impressive sight when they're walking out. And I was literally on the edge of my seat. I was like, wow, these guys are immense coming out to take care of uh, Andre the Giant. Not scared of anybody. Um, but uh, and every time they walk through the curtain, you know, I always think, wow, these guys are terrific, brilliant uh, badasses. And uh, they, they proved that again. And then the, obviously the heels, the natural disasters decided they didn't want a piece of the Legion of Doom at this point, moment in time. So they, they head to the back and do a wee promo against them. 
Um, yeah, it was a great face-off, and it set up the future. And what I found funny here was, you know, it's brilliant as you say, the LOD come, the stand between, um, you know, the natural disasters and Andre, who was as say, on crutches here, as we detailed before, um, and they've got that face-off. But the funny thing is, as they're going away, <laughs> Andre hits them with his crutches a couple of times, and you can see them turning around, saying, "What's going on here?" But yeah, it was a good kind of post-match angle. And but but sadly, this would be the last pay-per-view we would see Andre the Giant on. Yeah, I mean, his health deteriorated quite a lot over these couple of years. And there's no surprise, he's, he's, he's an absolute giant of a man. <clears throat> um, and, you know, he suffered quite a lot as a result of his size. Um, and that takes us to Mr. Bobby Heenan and uh, Hulk Hogan. And we've talked about this in our Ric Flair episode. But um, just to recap, um, Ric Flair's coming. Bobby Heenan's got the real world championship, the big gold belt. He goes behind the scenes, knocks on a door. Um, and it's supposedly Hulk Hogan on the other side. Wax believes it's not Hulk Hogan. I believe it is. <laughs> and Hogan just slams the door in his face. So it's quite a kind of nice comical moment um, as an extra in the show. Um, and, I, and I thought, you know, Bobby Heenan, as always, it was amazing at selling all of this and really marketing the whole angle before, you know, Ric Flair arrives. Yeah, absolutely. And... Certainly, visit our archives. We've done a really detailed show on Ric Flair joining the WWF, um, and Bobby Heenan plays a significant part in that. Um, moving on to the next match, we've got the Million Dollar Championship match between Virgil and the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Um, uh, fascist. It's DiBiase. Uh, uh, really it's, it's not DiBiase either. It's DiBiase. It's not DiBiase. We're going to have to, next, next episode. I don't know episode, how we do a poll on this, but we're going to have to phonetically. Well, next episode, we're going to have to get Howard Finkel on um, to explain exactly how to pronounce the, the surname of well, Ted. Well, Howard Finkel's passed away, that's going to be well, quite difficult. Don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll arrange it with uh, with our, our graphical team um, to, to work something It's definitely out. DVOC, that's all I'm going well, to say. Well, it's not Aussie, it's, maybe it's not Assie either, but we'll see, somewhere in the middle. Uh, but anyway, I, think right a, now, I think right now you're a Nazi, but we can carry on. <laughs> well, this is, a, this is a feud that's been building for some time between Virgil and the Million Dollar Man. We have covered it in the archives as well. We talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the reason why these two were, were, were not getting on. And, um, you know, Virgil, as the Million Dollar Man's uh, bodyguard for so long, was just getting degraded constantly, uh, humiliated all the time. And eventually he had had enough snapped uh, and wiped out the Million Dollar Man earlier. Uh, in the year uh, leading to this match um, and uh, to be fair I can't remember much of the match even though I watched it not too long ago uh, but the crowd were hot the crowd were absolutely on Virgil's side and um, I think everybody was keen to see Virgil uh, get one over a million dollar man yeah I mean they had the match at WrestleMania 7 which you covered and this was way better than that um, I see the crowd and the emotion was there and, and they actually did a, qu- a few interesting things I mean there's a point where I think Virgil puts the million dollar dream on the on the million dollar man and Sherry interferes and hits him with a purse and the bell rings and you think that's a disqualification the crowd's really angry but Earl Heibner actually says no the match is going to continue Sherry has to leave and then I, I think it ends with um, Ted DiBiase kind of you know um, he's got the turnbuckle exposed but Virgil hits him into it a couple of times and then there's this build up and he slowly covers him one two three and the crowd does go crazy for this and this is Virgil's biggest moment in the sun. And, and at this point, if somebody's walked in watching that bit, they would think this guy's a big star. Yeah. Um, but sadly, um, this would be his peak moment. Yeah, you probably wouldn't have got this reaction in the South, Fash. Maybe not at that time. Uh, but then, you know, the South is a, is a, is a weird place at times. <laughs> 
the next match, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. It's the big boss man against the Mounties. So it's the, the US law enforcer against the Canadian law enforcer. And the loser is going to spend the night in jail. Um, yeah, uh, the match itself wasn't great. It was such a slow pace. Both guys are not renowned for being uh, fast workers, you know. But the, the gimmick itself, the match itself, the, the, the outcome, I thought actually was really funny and really interesting. Uh, the, the, the loser would have to spend a night in jail and the opposition um, <clears throat> jailhouse. Uh, naturally, it was going to be the big boss man who came out on top. And the Mountie actually did a terrific job throughout the night. Um, once he got defeated of selling the whole uh, thing of being in jail for, for a night. Um, maybe we'll, well that was the thing of... wasn't it yeah because he played the angle after he loses there's segments throughout the night where he's being taken to jail where he's signed in and then the, the, the final segment where he's got a couple of uh, characters who are going to share the cell with him but yeah for me to be honest in this way I was never a fan of the Mountie the character I found him pretty boring and to be honest this is another one that might be surprising the big boss man as a baby face you didn't like wasn't for me. I think you know he's better <laughs> as a heel. So you know this was two guys I wasn't as interested. I mean, Ray Trailer is a legend, and you could say Jack Rougeau as well. But as a babyface, there was only one feud I really cared about, which might be wrestle crap to you, and we'll discuss in '92. But <laughs> nails against the big boss man that had some emotion behind it. Yeah. But other than that, I wasn't as impressed. I mean, interestingly here, I think the Mountie kicks out of the boss man slam, but then. Um, the big boss man does the Alabama slam, something that will be made famous by Hardcore Holly in the future, and he gets the pin here. Um, and yeah, the Mountie is going to be a jailbird. But as you say, there's these kind of really campy, cheesy segments for the rest of the event, which um, which which is the comedy of the time. And, and to be fair, uh, Jacques Rougeau does a good job with what he's been given to do in these segments. And that leads us on to the next match, which is another tag team match. <clears throat> this time between the Legion of Doom, who are up against the Nasty Boys, who are our current WWE The Nasty champion. Boys, you, you oh, know what I think of the wow. Nasty Boys, but <laughs> they're taking on the, the, the LOD, the Legion of Doom, the figures that you wanted back in the there day. You go. I don't know if everyone can see them here. I think yeah. they're in the Legion now, but you know, worked hard to get the Legion of Doom back in. I think you should pick those Nasty Boys ones back up so that everybody can see them again by the, the end of the show. Boys. <clears throat> they deserve. Uh, they deserve. No, they uh, might come back in a future episode. A high right place now, in your on your show. Lying face down as they should be. But uh, you know, I I don't actually remember you having the nasty boys ones for whatever reason. I, I remember the Legion of Doom ones, but to be honest, as I was um, as we discussed, I've been looking for old wrestling figures and I found a whole bunch, and I can't even recognize <laughs> half of the ones <laughs> I've got here. And then I couldn't find ones that I thought I did have, so yeah. it's a bit of a mystery. But yeah, the nasty boys certainly. I didn't buy them. I think somebody must have brought them over and they stayed there because I certainly wouldn't spend my hard-earned, or my father's hard-earned money at the time on, on those two jabronis. So remind me, Fash, this was a no-disqualification match? It was a, yeah, no it was a huge match, but it was weird. It wasn't really worked out like one. Yeah, they were mostly in the ring uh, doing their stuff, and but there was no real uh, rules to it other than obviously having a pin or, or a submission in the ring. Uh, the match itself was typical of what you would expect. Uh, I thought Legion of Doom sold a little bit more than they would normally do um, if they were maybe working in the WCW, but uh, it was all right for what it was. Um, I don't mind. I don't mind both the tag teams, so I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I expected it to be a little bit better just because it was no DQ, and it was weird because, as you say, that was the stipulation. But then the referees were making the referee was making them tag. So they weren't really doing Texas Tornado type rules here. Um, but as I say, it ends with some kind of new no DQ. Um, angle within it as I think Hawk grabs Jimmy Hart's helmet 
and he hits both nasty boys with it and then they do the doomsday device on sags pin them and they are the new WWF tag team champions now but this is significant i mean the match was what it was the pop is huge but actually the lod make history here because they become the first tag team to be wcw awa and wwf tag team champions and given the aw would come to an end um in 91 they are the first and last team to achieve that um so it was a big big night for them and and the crowd was so into the lod at this point yeah they were very very over and would be for the rest of the year as well talking about a guy who wasn't really over was greg the hammer valentine another (laughs) we should be respectful of the hammer who has had a tremendous career in wrestling over but yeah i've got to say he had zero charisma um every time he walked out with that sour looking face I don't think he ever did a promo or not one that I remember. Uh, and his work in the ring wasn't exactly memorable. But this is a guy who was actually really popular or really successful in the early 80s, late 70s. Um, uh, and, you know, with tagging with Ric Flair, having a big feud with Ric Flair later on as well. So he's due his respect. But maybe over this Ida, you know, yeah, he we knows. were more interested in others. I think for us, yeah. And he's a baby face here. So yeah. Which is a little bit weird. So, you know, as a heel, works better as a heel. I think, you know, now he was not really in a prominent position and you know his his role in this match where he's taking on irs who's a newcomer so mike rotunda and um, rotundo i know he goes by both in the past but he's making essentially his pay-per-view debut as irs he he was in wcw prior to this um, being michael wall street um but he comes over here and actually been in the wwf far earlier and and you know he's at wrestlemania one as part of the US Express and tag team champion then, but this is a repackage, which happened a lot in this era. And he is the tax collector now. And I know Wax, you've missed several tax payments recently. Um, well, as so IRS, as accountants, UK equivalent of the IRS might be yeah. coming to your uh, door as well. So. Um, I'm going to say when I was a kid, I absolutely hated the IRS for being the most boring yeah. wrestler in the history that I remember because he would walk out to no music. Uh, he'd always have this look on his face, working in trousers and a shirt and yeah, a tie. He was, <clears throat> he was really annoying. But over the last few weeks when I've been watching back, I've actually got to appreciate his uh, skill in the ring. And also on promo, actually, it was not bad. He would also usually start his uh, matches with uh, a little uh, talk to the crowd about how he's going to um, do them for missing their taxes or whatnot. Uh, yeah, it was quite a good thing. That, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, but as you say, this was probably, you know, when we think about it, maybe one of the first occupation-based gimmicks. So by the time we hit 94, 95, everyone's going to have an (laughs) occupation. Iris is a a bit of a trailblazer here, not for good reasons. But yeah, I think at this point, we didn't care about either of these guys. You appreciate them after, but it was what it was. This match was more about showcasing Iris as the new... And they actually protected Iris for quite some time. I think they maybe thought that he would be in for a a big run at the top, but so they didn't make him lose on TV for quite a while, Yeah, um, from what I remember. So... He was, he was someone that they thought maybe could do something. Uh, I think eventually he just got lost in the fold. Uh, yeah, he has his moments in the coming years and we'll cover them. And but... I'm actually surprised uh, to not see his figure. You know, that's the one of the ones I couldn't find. So it's interesting, you know, for today's show, the figures that I was actually seeking, I didn't, I didn't find. So they're like, so British Bulldog, Texas Tornado, Ricky Steamboat, the dragon figure, which you loved. Yeah. IRS, these are the ones I can't locate, so I don't know where they are. Um but yeah, I was able to find some alternatives um, to, to give some visual aids yeah. uh, to, to the audience. But yes, yeah, a shame I don't have that one, but I will look for it 
But in the end, the match was really nothing to write home about. But and, and to be honest, it was placed as a semi main event slot, but it made sense because you'd had the euphoria of the LOD winning the tag team titles. We're going to get our main event and then the wedding segment. So actually placing it here gives the audience a chance to just catch their breath. Main event, which is coming Which up was next. a match made in hell. Um, some would say that we're a match made in hell as well, Wax. Um, but this was the, our main event. Yeah, and it's odd that you would have a, a handicap match. Uh, uh, there's zero reason for this to be a handicap match. If you if you think about it, there was nothing in the storyline that made this a handicap match. Uh, but you've got Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior on one side uh, against Sergeant Slaughter, Colin Mustafa, and General Well, there Adnan. you go. You've got the two yeah, dynamic of duo evil. of there Hulk Hogan go. and the Ultimate Warrior. And I was a warrior man, as you know. You were a Hogan I man together. Hogan they were man. a major, major force. Um, but they're taking on, yeah, as you say, Sergeant Slaughter who I had no time for at this point, and two pensioners, basically, General Adnan <laughs> and <laughs> Colonel Mustafa, otherwise known as the, the Iron Sheik. The Iron Sheik has not changed uh, probably the 10 years prior to that and the 20 years after that. He looks exactly the same. Um, uh, an interesting character uh, from everything we know about him. But um, again, this is, is a horrible match in, in the ring. Uh, there was, really wasn't much happening. The most interesting element was obviously Sid Justice, the special guest referee, um, so he had a, a few moments with the different participants. Um, and actually, sorry, prior to the match, they had built up the fact that they had caught, or the cameras had caught Sid Justice talking to to Sergeant Slaughter and his cronies uh, behind the scenes, making out, and Bobby the Brain was making out that, you know, he was being bought by by them to, to, to support them in the match, uh, which didn't play out. <clears throat> but he also had a run-in with the Warrior at one moment in the ring. Uh, and you know, just proving that he was an independent enforcer um, for for the match, which was quite entertaining. I thought. Well, this is the thing. I mean, as we've said in a couple of episodes ago, we spoke about Sid coming in and him being the guest referee here, um, and what they were playing here was whose side is he on? And actually, in the match, his new tree doesn't really do anything. Um, this is the blow off of this whole Sergeant Slaughter Hulk Hogan storyline um, leading into as I say the question marks for Warrior is he 100% because he just went through the angle with The Undertaker and Jake Roberts um, and yeah the match was what it was I mean you could see, it was interesting the commentary is interesting within this I don't know if you, you, know, you want to watch them because you know they're very much pro Hogan Hogan's great they're a bit negative on the Warrior and you'd learn it or why um, and yeah I mean to be honest Adnan and um, Iron Sheik didn't really do much in this and it was Sergeant Slaughter but it ends pretty timidly with Hogan throwing some powder in, in Slaughter's eyes does the leg drop and you know the one two three um, but prior to this the Ultimate Warriors chased General Adnan and Colonel Mustafa to the back with a cheer um, but little would we know the Warrior was running straight out of the WWF but we'll, we'll cover that in a second but yeah that's it so it's, it's all about the focus was on Hulk Hogan um, largely and it was as you say i think it was more about the energy that Hulk yeah. Hogan and the ultimate warrior could generate and the crowd was into it otherwise the match was nothing straight home but said justice was positioned in such a great way um and and post the main event you know hogan's in the ring posing but he actually calls out somebody and you're thinking it'll be the warrior but it's not it's said and said then comes out and poses so hogan's getting given this man the endorsement as a as you know a top Baby face within the company now. Yeah, I mean, Sid looks tremendous uh, as the guest referee. He's wearing the this smallest. This is probably the best he's looked at, probably yeah. in terms of you know look and. It helps and that he's wearing the smallest tank to top known to man. Um, so his, his muscles were... are on full show. Um, well, I think chemically everyone was very much enhanced at this point as well. So working hard in the gym and taking their vitamins. 
Yeah, and um, just uh, uh, this was Hulk Hogan and the Warriors still, you know, very much at the forefront uh, of the WWF. Still, their main guys, and yeah. the crowd were certainly responding to that. Still here, um, so it made sense to, to to have them on the show. Uh, maybe not together, but certainly uh, they put it together for the fans. I think and and got a really yeah. Good, it was all, it was all about the tag team and the referee. It wasn't really about the opponents, and that's why it was a handicap mm-hmm. match because. You know, even the three of them, nobody really saw those two losing. Um, but it was weird, as I say, this team, uh, because there was different storylines going on. And as I say, Warriors involved in a totally different storyline. It's got nothing to do with this main event. Yep. So it was just weird from that perspective. But they did a lot of that at this this juncture. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it, it was what it was. Uh, you mentioned the commentary, and there was a, a memorable line from Bobby Heenan where he calls Hulk Hogan the immortal slime, um, which I thought was just tremendous. It was so funny. And also looking back, I've watched a few Hulk Hogan matches now, obviously, in this period. Um, he works like a heel sometimes. He's he's raking people's eyes, he's raking their backs, and he was cheating to win, uh, which is not really the, the Hulk Hogan. Well, well you know, you made a good point. And let me point you into the future. I think, you know, I mean, we'll be proven wrong, but I don't think Hogan has a clean win moving forward here. So he throws he powder in Slaughter's eyes here, right? Yep. He's then going to lose to The Undertaker. He's going to throw something in The Undertaker's yep. eyes, ashes. And then, you know, he's going to be a bit of a whiner at the Royal Rumble. Um, and he's not going to win cleanly with pinfall at WrestleMania. And then he goes away for a bit and he comes back. And he, yeah. some shenanigans when he comes back. Salt's going to be involved. So <laughs> actually, you're right. Um, a lot of, you know, when people look back and have a laugh about it now, Hogan acted like a heel and... A lot of people say, you know, all the people that turned on him were right to turn on him because yep. he was a crappy friend and actually <laughs> did a lot of heelish things. But it's a good point to make. But at this point, you know, he was still very popular. Though I think this is the beginning of when people are going to start to turn against that a little bit. And and, and that was interesting to me that, you know, that, as I say, this paper, we had certain transitions were going to start. And I think one of them is going to be you know, Hulk Hogan being able the apple of everyone's eye. Um, I know you're going to do a special one day on the steroid trial. And just leading into this event, Hulk Hogan was on the Arsenio Hall show where he um, makes a few comments about steroid use and doesn't tell the truth. And I think that's going to start to feed into his image as well. But this was a big kind of moment for him at this point uh, at SummerSlam where he is the all-conquering hero. Yep. And this leads... To, the most interesting thing about this match is actually not what happens in the ring but what happens uh, directly after, which obviously we don't see uh, as the viewer. Uh, but Fash, it's a, it's a seminal moment in, in, in the Warriors career. Yeah, so the ultimate warrior, as I said, he runs to the back and Vince McMahon um, is waiting for him with a suspension letter. Um, so long story short, and we will cover the Warrior and his escapades in more detail in other episodes, but leading into this event, um, the Ultimate Warrior felt that he should be paid more. He should be paid in line with Hulk Hogan, given they were the top two baby faces. Um, the understanding is that he wanted uh, a certain payoff for WrestleMania 7, and he wanted his pay to be equal to Hulk Hogan's and a lighter schedule as well. Um, and that allegedly he'd threatened to no show house show events and SummerSlam. So, leading into this, Vince McMahon agrees to the Warriors' demands, and the, the event happens. But as the match ends in the back, he then hits him with a 90-day suspension and there's some further back and forth. And actually, interestingly, you can go online and see the letters that the two exchanged. And it's quite interesting. Um, but the gist of it is the warrior isn't going to take a 90-day suspension. Really, he's just going to go home and we won't see him for a little while. But the one thing I wanted to ask you here is, uh, Wax, see for us as kids watching this, 
you didn't notice the ultimate warrior wasn't there or what happened over the next probably you know several weeks until you start thinking why is he not in the openings of events why is he not at survivor series but because you're not aware of what's going on in the background it's kind of well the warrior must be somewhere right he's just yeah we certainly didn't have access to anything that would tell us otherwise i mean we just you just take it for what it is at that point uh and i think a lot of people did with the warrior used to have so many rumors around at that point Mm -hmm. you know the, the audience which was kind of smart was relatively small and i think it's just that you know he disappears um and you don't really know what's going on and you probably don't realize he's gone until a certain point um but certainly what they had done here was planted the seed with the audience that said justice and hulk hogan it's about them yeah uh, and also about the, the next gentleman we're going to discuss the next segment was really just a celebration of the macho man and elizabeth reuniting uh, back at wrestlemania uh, in the interim period macho man proposes to elizabeth um as she accepts with a terrible ooh yeah um which uh, very phony uh, but it's interesting elizabeth was very rarely asked to do any sort of uh, mic work really uh, in promos she was very silent she might have the odd That's word true. so she never really had any practice in doing it and very much all her character was about being presented in a certain way which she pulled off magnificently um but she wasn't known for her her promo work yeah, she was the first lady of wrestling, wasn't she? And I think this was interesting because, you know, it's, you know the, the pay-per-view is ending with this wrestling wedding, yep. uh, which was unique. Um, I guess the interesting thing, once again, behind the scenes was both of them had been married since the 80s. So this wasn't a real wedding. No. Um, but to the audience, most of us, you know, everyone thought that is them getting married and the storyline, you know, them being together, then him turning heel, going with Sherry and now reuniting. It was... Um, the, the, the great storyline and I'm going to say if you haven't seen it already you need to go onto YouTube search the Together Forever video between the Macho Man and Elizabeth oh please it's a tearjerker I had to have the tissues uh, to hand it was a tremendous video um, I might watch it again after this show finishes uh, but it really got you in the mood for the wedding ceremony uh, which followed um, there was nothing really to write home about on, on the actual ceremony itself it was pretty standard fare um, except that Macho Man's outfit was, which was certainly not standard wedding attire. Um, Fash, we might get you to to put that on for your one. Um, yeah. uh, I I would be open to considering that, but we we'll, we will see. It was very 1991, I think. It was, wasn't it? Was very it? Macho Man. I think it's only the Macho Man that can carry that off. Um, but interestingly, here, Wax. I mean, you know, the story at the time was that you know the whole retirement angle, and this was because. The matchman did want time off and you know he wanted to go and start a family with Elizabeth. Um, and this was all done because of that. But basically, because of the warrior leaving, um, things are going to kind of fall into disarray, and he's not really going to get that time off, as you say, because yeah, the wedding segment was what it was. It's really about the wedding reception after where things start to pick up. Now, interestingly, if you watch this on the WWE network, um it ends at the wedding whereas if you were to watch the old coliseum video um you do get the the angle which takes place after this um which is the real kind of um beginning of as you say uh, a, a big feud well there is us fast thinking that that's the end of SummerSlam 91 the the marriage itself has gone fine no issues as you mentioned um if we were watching back then we would have transitioned into the wedding reception, um, and that's where things start to kick off. 
Well, that's the thing. It's not your traditional wedding reception. So, so Randy, very happy with um, Elizabeth there and their opening various presents. Um, and you know, lots of noise and all that kind of stuff. So nothing to report yet. But suddenly, you know, Elizabeth opens this big present and there's a cobra pops out and then there's screams and really bad acting and things. And then um, you see somebody striking Randy Savage with the urn. And yep, it's um, our friends Jake the Snake Roberts. Don't trust him. And the Undertaker, who basically crashed this wedding. They were the original wedding crashers, Wax. And, um, you know, they're, they're tormenting both Elizabeth and the Macho Man. But thank God for Sid Justice. He comes out with a chair and he protects him. And what I loved about this whole angle was, you know, Jake Roberts and the Undertaker have crashed this wedding. They've basically, you know, <laughs> brought a cobra into play and just ruined this moment. But when Sid comes out, you know, Jake Roberts is asking him, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> who the hell do you think you are? As if, you know, he's the one that's, um, you know, behaved wrongly here. And Sid just replies back, I don't give a damn or something like that. So the, the exchange between them doesn't make much sense. Um, but they scurry away and, you know, we leave in, in horror. So what this kind of signposted right now felt like, it was going to be said, you know, taking on The Undertaker and Jake Roberts. Now, maybe with the matchman helping. Who's still suspended. Uh, who's still point. suspended. So maybe that's the storyline they're going to use to get them involved with each other. But the key thing was with the Warrior going, they did this pivot. So now, you know, we're going to ignore the whole Warrior thing. And, you know, Jake Roberts and The Undertaker have found um, a new victim. But Sid Justice is there as the big baby face who, who's going to protect um, Randy and and elizabeth so that would set us up on the road uh, to survivor series but as is always the case um there'd be lots of other twists and turns which would maybe change plans the card is subject to change isn't as they always say, say. but yeah. what did you think overall of this event wax you know summer 1981 what's your overall kind of thoughts behind it I think I enjoyed it from uh, one point of view, that going back, seeing some of the characters again that we're, we're so used to from this era. There was some fun stuff on there. Um, the wrestling wasn't particularly great other than the Bret Hart, uh, Mr. Perfect match. There were a couple of other entertaining moments with the Legion of Doom coming out. Um, the scene, the British Bulldog, the Dragon and Texas Tornado in a tag team together. That was uh, fun. Uh, and yeah, seeing Hogan and Sid Pose at the end of the show, that was also quite good fun. Um, overall, um, I'm kind of going to go middle of the road for me. Um, I don't think it was a hit or a miss. It was it was sort of okay, uh, just about. Yeah, I think you know, for me, I'd probably veer towards a thumbs up. I'll give it a stone cold salute um, because for me, yeah, the Bret Hart, Mister Perfect, is the one to watch. So if there's one watch to watch here. It's this one. Definitely stole the show for me. Mister Perfect is the MVP, given how injured he was. But it's got the other moments. I say LOD making history, Virgil having his moment in the sun, um, and yeah, in terms of the main event, it's more of the stuff that's happening in the back and then the the angle post the wedding. So I think I had enough of kind of fun stuff in it. And you know, I think the crowd elevated everything. I think if we didn't have this really hot Madison Square Garden crowd, it probably would have not come across as well. But I agree with you. Um, you know, it is a one match card, really, but it had enough moments and characters in there for me to give it, uh, you know, a, a thumbs up. Overall. Fashion, I've got a, another MVP of the show for you. What do you think about Jimmy Hart being the MVP of this show? He was everywhere. He was with the Mountie, with the natural disasters, with the nasty boys. He was 
throughout the show he was like he was constantly appearing you know that what? whiny little voice. Yeah. That's something that you've raised there, which I didn't even give a second thought to. But you're right, he used to do that so much. He'd have kind of multiple duties and he'd always come out with a new jacket as well. Yeah. And he was as energetic. And to a Jimmy Hart's one of those guys, even when you look at him today, he looks the same. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you actually, right? He, as a, from a man, junior perspective, probably was an MVP as well. That's a, that's a good point. And another really interesting thing that um, just appeared, it came to me when I was watching the show. Um, but can you guess how many promos or skits there were in this uh, show? There's a whole metal period, isn't there, where they're just interviewing everyone. And I think it goes on for a good. 12 13 minutes, but I don't know the number, but I know it's a big number. Well, I, I counted them all, um, because the WWE network makes it really easy for you to do. But there were 23 promos or skits, uh, partly obviously because of the Mountie was involved in a few of them in yeah. the jailhouse sections. But that's a lot, uh, that's for a, a show that was only what two and a half hours, two and a half hours, 40 minutes, something like that. That's a lot that's, of segments, that's a lot of segments, and um. Vince Russo isn't even there yet, no, so you exactly. can't say all the backstage stuff because of him. But yeah, that's yeah, it was loads of that extra padding in there, which really wasn't needed. I yeah, think. we don't really see that these days with the backstage interviews uh, in, as part of the big shows anymore. But it was something very common with the the blue background, Mean Gene uh, with the mic or Sean Mooney in the locker room. And you don't um, get guys like them anymore. That's the biggest no. thing. I mean, we'll talk about you know things in, as they stand today as we go through the years. But um, you know, the likes of Mean Gene. Uh, Grill Monsoon, Bobby Heenan, uh, even the likes of Sean Mooney, who wasn't great. But, you know, these are the names you remember. And they all had a, a key role to play uh, as part of, um, you know, the, the production. Yep, Fash, we'll catch up soon. We'll cover the Road to Survivor Series and then the events um, leading out 1991. Thanks for joining us. As usual, keep watching, keep listening, and please do subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, we're very active on social media we'd love to talk to you speak to you and see what you want to hear and see from us on this show um, so thanks again for joining us and we'll see you soon and now we're going to bring you an advert paid for by the Fash World Order Wax you're not in my week so you're not to bring your insane hussein for challenging the man who runs the world podcasting generation. The man who is the champion and the woman the champion until he feels a bit of So you don't understand, you don't want to clash with me. And if you did, the game would be pretty simple. Two men walk in, one man survives, and that man is me. So you think about that. Because after I'm finished and you're lying there in your blood, sitting there and a little boy comes and asks you, say, Daddy, Daddy, why did Uncle Flash beat you up like a punk? And you look at him straight in the eyes, with a tear in your eye, saying, Son, because I am a punk and I always will be. So just think about that fake wax. That's not what you want. So join the Flash World Order. Be a soldier in my crew because there's only one man that runs the show here.